0: Happy 513 Day, Cincinnati and Dayton. As Dayton used to be in the area code until 1996, celebrate your 513 Day with a listen to the local Sunday Sports Podcast. This is the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen, a weekly audio podcast that covers everything sports in the Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio region. No faffing around. No unnecessary chatter, no focusing on that school in Columbus like other shows, just good, honest, local sports happening in Southwest Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and East Central Indiana. Be sure to bookmark SINDAYPOD.com for ways to listen and podcast merchandise. Theme song by Kevin McLeod on freepd.com. Here's your host, Lee W. Mallon. So what's the big deal with 513? It's not like it's your 513th episode of this podcast. Well, that's the area code of Cincinnati and Southwest Ohio for a long time when Ohio got their area codes back in 1947. In 1996, though, it was the birth of 937 in Southwestern Ohio with Dayton, Springfield, parts of Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, and pretty much Butler, Warren County, the northern esh of the counties, and now there's also three two six. But really, who's uh, who calls this area the three two six? Answered no one. It was because nine three seven ran out of numbers, and when five one three runs out of numbers in Cincinnati, and Southwest Ohio, there will be two eight three. So yeah, you know, but you can't really celebrate. 937 Day, because that'd be the 37th day of September. Nor can you celebrate the other area codes, which I already forgot. But in case you wonder why it's 513 Day, there you go. Happy 513 Day! And now it's time to talk about one of the few 513 teams, the Bengals. Now, yes, I realize we've been talking a lot about the Bengals recently, but this is the schedule. Episode Because it was released last night from Bengals on Twitter, our new Stripes 2021 tour, no fees on single ticket games. So, you know, if you're interested in going to Paul Brown Stadium, there's no fees on that. You can watch. Well, you could have watched the NFL schedule drop on the NFL network, but that was yesterday. So no, you can't unless someone put it on YouTube or something. So the Bengals and the rest of the NFL are going to play 17 games, meaning there's only three preseason games now. And the fun starts on September the 12th at home against Minnesota. There's going to be a lot of LSU Tigers battling on both sides. Of course, there's Justin Jefferson on Minnesota's side. And for Joe Burrow, he's got Jamar Chase And I'm forgetting the other name of the Tiger, but you get what I'm saying. This should be a good battle. Mike Zimmer uh, coaching against his former employer, the Cincinnati Bengals. I still like Mike Zimmer, but I don't know how truly hot his seat is in Minnesota since the Vikings are, you know, they have to deal with that Aaron Rodgers guy, although he's pretty angry at the moment. So maybe he won't. I don't know. But Minnesota kicks things off. The Bengals get most of the road games out of the way in the first half before the bye week, which personally, you know, make a nice run at home and see how it goes. So again, home opener against Minnesota to kick off the 2021 season. And then the Bengals visit Chicago on the 19th and Pittsburgh on the 26th. Pittsburgh this early. That is quick. Now, remember last year was... Cleveland and Cincinnati battling early, but this time it's a road trip to Pittsburgh. And then back home for Thursday night football on the 30th against the Jacksonville Jaguars. You might know them as the team that drafted Trevor Lawrence. Also, made a silly draft on Etnine when they already had a very good running back, but I digress. Oh, also, that racist uh, strength and conditioning coach from Iowa, he got hired by Urban Meyer before everyone started to, uh, you know, make complaints that, hey, he's kind of racist. And then they fired him. So there you go. And, yes, there's the news about Tim Tebow. And, yes, there's that sports host in Dayton that's making a big fuss about people's opinions because, you know, they're not his, so they're obviously wrong. Uh... I don't really have an opinion either way. Yes, he reunites with Urban Meyer in the state of Florida. Just, you know, it'll be interesting to see. Especially with a time away from football in Meyer League Baseball. Back home on October the 10th against the Green Bay Packers. And then three straight road games for Cincinnati. They'll visit the Detroit Lions on the 17th of October. The Baltimore Ravens on the 24th. And the New York Jets of New York on the 31st. Ooh, spooky game at Meadowdale. Or not Meadowdale, sorry. Um, Is it Meadowdale? Uh, It's MetLife Stadium, but you get what I'm saying. Maybe. And then home to face Cleveland November the 7th. And then there's that bye week on the 14th. At Las Vegas on the 21st of November. And then three straight at home. Pittsburgh's in town the 28th, the Los Angeles Chargers on the 5th of December, which, by the way, if you haven't seen Los Angeles Chargers' video on their schedule. Okay, first of all, who gave them word art? Hasn't that program been dead since the early 2000s? And second off, (laughs) it's it's hilarious, actually. So I, I, I enjoyed it. So go go and find that. Trust me. You'll have a laugh. And then home on the 12th against San Francisco and the 49ers. Now, years past, San Francisco, they've been just destroyed with injuries. So it's going to be interesting to see if that's not happening to them again. But classic Super Bowl rematch between the Bengals and San Francisco. At Denver on the 19th of December, home. For True Straight against Baltimore, the day after Christmas, or Boxing Day, for those that celebrate that, in England and Canada. January 2nd, home against Kansas City and the Chiefs. And at the Cleveland Browns, January 9th. It's so weird that the regular season spills into the near year. Isn't it? It just feels dirty. I don't know. It just... Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't have a good reasoning for it, and I could be off my rocker on that one, but it just, it just feels weird. So, there's your home games. Of course, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore come in, and at Cleveland, Pittsburgh, Baltimore, home against the Vikings, the Jags, the Packers, the Chargers, 49ers, and the Chiefs, at the Bears, the Lions, the Jets, the Raiders, Broncos. And that is your schedule. Pretty good schedule. I mean, let's break it down. Like I said, Minnesota, uh, just they haven't been as strong as people want them to be. <laughs> that, that sounds like pretty much every other team, Lee. How about you explain it? Okay. Well, you know, losing Kirk uh, cousins is there. I was going to say losing cousins hurt, but I don't know. It's just that team should do a lot better, even without... You know, Stephon Diggs. But, again, the Packers have ruled the NFC North for quite some time. You know, if the Bears got their stuff together, they might put in a nice running. I think that defense is still strong with Khalil Mack. Uh, the Lions, I think, on the road to possibly building something good. I mean, they took Panay Sewell after everyone said the Bengals were failures for passing on him. And Miami did the same thing. But, no, they're better, so... You know, go ahead with your spin there. But I, I think Coach Campbell, I mean, I, I don't see the you know, Lions getting to the playoffs this year. But I think the Lions might be on the right track here. But then again, one playoff win in 60 plus years. Here. Of course, the Jets, they're turning over a new leaf. Sam Darnold is now in Carolina. So that'll be interesting to see how that new regime takes over Las Vegas Raiders against another team that, you know, should be a lot better than they are just that never are. And just, I think after that injury too, oh, I'm trying to think of his name. It's not cook um, Carr, Yeah. Derek Carr. He hasn't been the same, that really good year. I think five years ago, and once he got hurt, that's kind of been the downward spiral. Of course, you know, having the offensive line, you know, not protect, that doesn't help either. But there you go. Denver is a frustrating case just because of the fact, you know, what are you going to get with them? So, yeah, I, I am looking at the league. Uh, Cleveland, they should be better than last year, which sounds weird because that year was pretty good for Cleveland. I think if they stick to what they did correctly, you know, they should be in for another good year, the Browns. Pittsburgh, uh, it's Ben Roethlisberger's game. He's going the wrong way in the aging. I mean, we look at Tom Brady. We talk all the time about how Tom Brady is just so great and he gets better with age. It's just not happening for Roethlisberger. I mean, the injuries and everything, and the Steelers had to kind of change up their game a little bit. So... You know, we'll see. And that offensive line's a big question mark, too. So, you know, hopefully the Bengals have a defense that will actually, oh, I don't know, pressure the quarterback. That seems silly. That seems like, you know, that, that just seems silly. And the Ravens, I personally think, you know, it's still Ravens. It's just really they need a wide receiving game. Lamar Jackson can't run on his own. You know, I mean, he can, but he needs help. He needs to get, you know, what happened to the days where, you know, Baltimore had used their tight ends pretty aggressively, you know? Running game should be fine. Uh, defense is always good in Baltimore. So I, I think it'll be probably the Ravens, the Browns, Bengals, and Steelers. And I say that just because, A, I think the Bengals are due for a turnaround. Uh, looking at this schedule, I can't tell you 8-8 eight and eight because, oh yeah, there's 17 games. You know, I I can see us winning Minnesota and Jacksonville. Just really about pressuring Cousins and Lawrence if he's the starter for the Jags. Green Bay is going to be fun to see. You know, Green Bay is always a good team, although the turmoil between their general manager, uh, Gutnost, and Aaron Rodgers, that's been a fun drama to watch. So, it's possible the Bengals can win that, but Green Bay is really good. I... the Bears I think, you know, that that'll be an interesting case to see. Uh I think No, honestly, I think we can beat the Browns. I think we can beat the Steelers. I think, you yeah. know, we can beat the Ravens, but Baltimore's had our numbers the last 2 years under Zach Taylor, so you know. You know, I I look at this schedule and it is pretty tough. I mean, I I can't wait to see what the Jets Bring to the table again, getting away from Adam Gase, the offensive genius of the Jets, and now new quarterback after Sam Darnold got, you know, his talent wasted with them. It'll be interesting to see that. Chargers should be all right. Justin Herbert. He won the offensive rookie of the year award. I still think Burrow would have won it, just because Herbert didn't come in until uh what was it, week five, something like that if he stayed healthy that entire season, I think Burrow would have got that award. But that could just be me being, you know, that could just be me being biased. I think, you know, Burrow would have had the better numbers. And starting that whole season, you know, rookie quarterback going to work for week one since. I do worry because now with the 17-week schedule and one less preseason game to worry about, I do worry about, Joe Burrow's timeline, you know, is he going to be available for Minnesota week one? I hope, but I don't want him to rush it. He's going to be our cornerstone quarterback. We can't have him fault like that. Uh, Kansas City, that's going to be a tough one, especially if Mahomes gets offensive line protection, like what the Chiefs banked on. San Francisco, again, like I mentioned, it really depends how injured and battered they are coming into this, so it'll be interesting to see. I can see the Bengals winning 10 games. I think 10-7 and is a fair assessment. As long as the offensive line keeps Burr upright, I think the Bengals will be an all right team. Defense, I think, I mean, there's plenty of depth, and the Bengals have really spent on that defense. The offensive line, I wish the Bengals would have done more. I don't know if they can do more at this point, but, yeah, it's just that offensive line, I... I hope we don't have the same conversation in, in the 2022 draft saying, hey, the Bengals should probably fix that offensive line more. I think Carmen will be great. I think Reef will be great at right tackle. No. Yeah, right. No, right guard. Excuse me. Tackles on the inside. I think Carmen and Reef are nice pieces. I think getting rid of heart was the right thing to do. So even if the Bengals didn't do any of those moves, getting rid of heart. Excellent. And again, Frank Pollock back. See what his, you know, thing is. There was an article I read about Frank Pollock. I forget if it was on Bengals.com. But it was talking about Frank Pollock's, you know, way of looking at this line. Oh, here it is. Coach Pollock mentioned, it's irrelevant what you did last year. This is from Jeff Hobson, the senior writer for Bengals.com. The word has zoomed to the Bengals' offensive line via its meetings with new line coach Frank Pollock. And the coach told the guys, everyone gets a clean slate. We're starting everything from day one. It's really irrelevant what you did last year. And that's what every team's approach is. Players, coaches, if you're not looking to prove yourself every day, you're going to be on the outside looking in. So again, I I worry about the depth. On that offensive line, but I think Pollock will do a nice job, and I think the Bengals are due for a comeback year. The 2021 schedule again, you can view the video from Bengals on social media, on Twitter, and I really like that throwback feel to it. They honored a lot of the best plays of the series against all 17 opponents. Well, okay, it'd be. 14 because you know, Cleveland, Baltimore, and Pittsburgh twice, but you get what I'm saying. Anyone else upset about Amir Garrett getting suspended for seven games just for celebrating a strikeout? I mean seriously? That's Charmin Soft trademark. Oh, how about that Javier Baez guy? He can just flip someone off and jump the fence trying to start something by leaving the bench. Nah, he's fine. He's he cool. He cool. But no, Amir Garrett, because he celebrated a strikeout, that's seven games. Yeah, it's obvious MLB doesn't like the Reds doing anything great. So, you know, su- suspend them. They can't have anything good. Yes, I know, Amir Garrett's suspension went down from seven to five games. I know that, but, oh, yeah, I mean, Baez flipping someone off and Yadier Molina literally grabbing someone's neck doesn't deserve a suspension. Oh, fine. Ooh, he's going to learn his lesson. Yeah, as you can tell, those suspensions in my eyes were absolute bull backside. Yeah, but... Let's talk about something a little more positive because I think if I just talk about that all day that's not really giving you updates, is it? The Cincinnati Reds are 17 and 17 one and a half back of a wild card spot and three and a half back of first place St Louis Cardinals 22 and 15 Milwaukee two games back 20 and 17. there's the Reds Cubs two under 500, 17, 19 and Pittsburgh at 15 and 21. Reds took 2 out of 3 at Pittsburgh, dropped the middle one of that match and a game that Brew Baker dominated, the New Carlisle kid. It's great to see him have that success and arguably probably the best pitcher for the Pittsburgh Pirates. But the Reds still took 2 out of 3 and currently sitting at 507 and 10 on the road with a couple more road games to go. By a couple more, I mean four more. As the Reds start a four-game series at Colorado starting tonight, the 13th of May, at 8.40 Eastern Time. 8.40 for Thursday and Friday, 8.10 Saturday, and 3.10 on Sunday. And then back home for 7, 3 against the Brewers, and then... Back on the road. Four against the Giants then. Three against the Brewers, I should add. But Reds on the road for four more. Currently in this road trip a three win two loss trip splitting the two games played at Cleveland. Wade Miley getting the 17th shutout in Reds franchise history. His first of his career by blanking the Indians 3-0 in a game where the offense would put up those three runs all in the ninth. And Clayce would take the loss for the Indians. Reds out hit the Indians 6-0. Both teams commit two errors. And that was the second no-no this week in Major League Baseball. And he got a little help, what Miley did, from his four-year-old son, Jeb, who gave him an Incredible Hulk temporary tattoo on his right forearm. Which is a really, really cute story. I love it. Then the Reds would drop the next game to Cleveland in a game where the Indians realized, oh, hey, we have bats, and they outscored the Reds 9-2. to And the Ohio Cup, well, we won't know who's getting that until August the 9th, so we got a little bit. But splitting the two games at Cleveland, winning the series at Pittsburgh, two out of three, and now heading for four straight against the Rockies. Just to go back to the standings, currently the Rockies, Dead last in the West, 13 and 24. San Francisco is your first place team. Again, they're coming to Cincinnati next week for four at 22 and 14. 21 17, two games back are the Padres of San Diego, the uh, LA Dodgers of LA, 20 and 17. Arizona, 17 and 20, with winning five out of six games against the Reds. And then there's Colorado. This is a Colorado team, not too bad at home, 11-10, and 10, but away from Denver, a putrid 2-14. and 14. And the Rockies do not come in to Cincinnati on May. We might find that out later if I don't forget. Your starting pitchers for Thursday, Luis Castillo gets bumped up. As he's looking for his old form, one win, four losses, an ERA of a very elevated 6.42, 26k. Going against Chichi Gonzalez, who struggled with the first batters of the innings this year. Sixteen of the 30 he's faced have reached base. And Gonzalez believes a string and miss pitch to end long at bats is the correction he needs. If you look at the previews, Mike Mustakas is one for three against Chichi Gonzalez. Nick Senzel is 2-for-2. Two two. Eugenio Suarez is 1-for-3 with a home run and two RBIs. And Jesse Winker is 0-for-2. That's it. Shogo Akiyama, who is back from his stint with the alternate the alternate site. Tucker Barnhart's never faced Gigi Gonzalez. Alex Blandino has it. Castellanos hasn't. Farmer India, Naquin, and Tyler Stevenson have not. On the other side. You have Matt Adams, who is a chilly 1-for-10 against Luis Castillo. Charlie Blackman, 3-of-6 with two RBIs on a home run. Ilias Diaz, I believe that is 3-of-8. He's batting 375 against Luis Castillo. Garrett Hampson, 0-for-3. Ryan McMahon, 0-for-2. Trevor Story, 0-for-3. And Raimel Tapia is, what would that be, 4-of-6. With a home run and an RBI. So that's your batters facing those pitchers. And Reds starting that four-game series at Colorado. So right now, Colorado is really going through a lot of changes. Breidick, the GM, of course, he let himself go. And really, a lot of people are eyeing Trevor's stories like, where is the shortstop going next? Because... It's obvious that Colorado is probably going to deal him, but we don't know anything on that. Although the Reds were one of five teams that would be picked as a better fit for the shortstop. And, you know, I don't know how that would all transfer down just because of the fact. Think about it now. You got Suarez that took over shortstop and Kyle Farmer there too. When Suarez isn't the shortstop, he can go back to third which right now is Moustakas. Joey Votto out for pretty much all May, maybe a little bit of June with that broken thumb. You know, he's out, so who do you put there? Senzel can come in to play second, if need be, to help alleviate the crowded outfield scene, which that's another thing to talk about as well. Reds have won six of the last ten and currently have scored the most runs in the NL Central at 178. And while giving up 170, that is the most in the NL Central. And not the most in the entire National League. That would go to Colorado's 198. So strike while the iron's hot for Cincinnati against Colorado. And just to look right now, your most runs scored in the NL. That would go... To the L.A. Dodgers, 187, it looks like. So there you go. Least, by the way, it's not the Reds at 178. Like I said, they lead the NL Central. Looks like the least would be Pitts. No, Washington's 113. Oof. Pittsburgh's 125. That's least in the Central. And now uh, the... Standings no longer read asshat on the AL West. It's ass-S-T-A. That's a fun word to say, isn't it? Your leaders, AL East, Boston, 22-16. The White Sox, 21-13. Oakland, 23-15. Having won seven of the last ten. The Mets in the East, 18-13. A game up on Philadelphia. And the bloated contract of Bryce Harper. I don't need to hear that he's batting over 300. I don't care. St. Louis in the Central, San Fran in the West. So, looking into the stats of Cincinnati, I'm glad I checked that before bringing that up. This Reds team is third, tied for third in the entire MLB with 48 home runs with the Yankees. Just three back of the Blue Jays at 51 and four back of the Braves at 52. I am so glad I picked red stats here. I do not like the way they have been changing that. So here, let's drag this episode on a little bit further together. You know, why not? So the Reds so far, I think 17-17, that's not terrible. I mean, you know, that hot stretch that the Reds had and they got all the way to fourth in the power rankings. That's behind them, but at the same time, we're talking about a Reds team that's batting 248, which in the entire major leagues, that's fifth. That's two batting points better than the Minnesota Twins, and only looking up on the White Sox, who have the hottest batting average with the Houston Astros at 262. Boston's hitting 258, the Angels 254, and there's the Reds. Followed by Minnesota, Washington, Texas, the Dodgers, and Colorado actually in the top 10 at 241. Pitching-wise, as we look through there, well, the Reds are not in the top 10 in wins. Again, just 17. As we're looking at teams for some reason, the Reds would be tied for 18th with Arizona, Atlanta, Chicago, and there's the Reds. However, the Reds are the only non under 500 team in this category. The Reds 17 and 17. Diamondbacks 17 and 20. Braves and Cubs at 17 19. A little weird to see the Braves under 500. I thought they would have had a dynamite year, but I think they're battling injuries for what I'm following along with. Lois DRA goes to San Diego at 2.82. The Reds. I'm scrolling through. Towards the bottom at 4.65. That's not the worst, but it's not far from the worst. The Angels have the highest staff ERA at 5.23. Behind the Reds are the Royals, the Tigers, the Rockies, and the Angels. So let's look at batting averages against. Right now the Braves have the, excuse me, the Brewers. I would have been right all those years ago, but the Brewers have the lowest average against pitchers, 207 to be precise. And the Reds are the 13th lowest at 228. That's not bad. The highest would go to the Rockies at 266. So again, the Reds really need to strike while the iron's hot. Let's go to team because I want to see team stats. I guess that is team stats. Let's go to player stats. These stats are not easy. Yes, George Foster. He's, George Abagio is not on this team. Can you believe it? I certainly can't. I still can't believe that was a thing that was said, but there you go. I want the 2021 season, please. Thank you. Yeah, let's talk about George Foster leading the, Red squad, although he probably could <laughs> be honest. No, it's Jesse Winker who's got the highest batting average at 375. The dude's having an outstanding year. He and Castellanos, there was a tweet I shared a while back saying that in the entire uh, MLB with wins above uh, replacement, I believe that's what it's short for, pretty much the Reds have the left and right field as the best spots in the entire MLB. That's saying something because Castellanos is batting just 310 on the year. It's great to see him having a great year. 22 RBIs. Tyler naquin has got 24 RBIs. He's batting 260. He's cooled off a little bit. Nixon Zell's having a not bad year at 263. Joey Votto, he's hurt, but he was batting 226. And Eugenio Suarez has got his batting average up. It's now 156. A lot better than the 133 he was. So he's starting to turn the corner, and his strikeouts are dropping down a bit. I think it was just a timing issue. And really, you know, pretty much he's starting to work through it. So it is interesting to see. So Tyler Stevenson, he's played only 22 games, but he's swatting a two ninety-eight batting average, which very impressive. Tucker Barnhart, not bad behind him, 288. So the catchers are putting a nice stay at the plate as well. Alex Blandino, 265. I mentioned Nick Senzel, 263. Naquin, 260. A couple pitchers in there, batting 250. Mike Boustakis, a little lower on the batting average, but 235. Kyle Farmer, 229. Jonathan India has really cooled off. He's at 208. But I say don't drop him down because... He's not going to grow if you just drop him down for having a cool-off, you know? Let him figure it out on his own. So let's go to pitching now, because I like to talk about the Reds pitching. White Miley, after that no-hitter, 4-2, and two, ERA of two. He's got the most wins, does White Miley. Followed by Doolittle and Ryan Hendricks, both at 2-0, oh, although Hendricks' ERA is... 8.31, but that's only because, you know, he's only pitched four and a third and given up four runs, so don't remember that outing for Ryan Hendricks, but 2-0. and o. Jeff Hoffman, 2-3, and Malley, 2-1, and one, which I saw someone argue that he's the ace of the Reds. At this point, Castillo's struggling to get back to his old form. Uh, him or, you know, Sonny Gray, although Sonny Gray did have a, Rough bout at Pittsburgh. Did not take the loss. He wouldn't have taken the loss. Well, probably wouldn't have taken the loss. But he didn't finish enough to get a win. Lucas Sims, also 2-1. TJ Antone, 1-0. Luis Castillo, 1-4. I believe that's the most losses on the staff. And yes, it is. 4 for Castillo, 3 for Hoffman, and 0-2 and for Sonny Gray. Who would figure that Castillo would lead the team in losses? Lois DRA, well, thanks for that. Let's go to all players. Alex Blandino, and two games out of the bullpen. The position player has pitched one and a third, scoreless, hitless. He has walked one, struck out none. Heath Hembry, seven games in, no runs, no hits, and seven and two thirds. He came in to shut the door on Pittsburgh yesterday afternoon. Wade Miley's ERA at 2. That's the lowest for any starter. TJ Antone, 2.41. And Tyler Malley, an even 3 ERA. So, again, 17 and 17. Reds are still in the thick of things. And I wonder if I can see the wild card from here. Looks like I can at this point. I can tell you that the Reds again are one and a half back. San Diego and Los Angeles Dodgers would have the wild card spots if the season were to end today. The Reds one and a half back. They are the closest team to the wild card spot. Game back of the Reds are Atlanta in the wild card race and the Cubs. Three and a half back of a wild card spot. Miami. Three-back Arizona, half game up on the Marlins. Four-and-a-half back Washington, Pittsburgh, and seven-back Colorado. So the Reds at May so far, not bad. Could be better, of course, but hey, winning this series against the Chicago Cubs, that was great. And now the Reds will face Colorado for four on the road, get San Francisco at home for four, Milwaukee for three at home, Then back on the road to face Washington, and the Chicago Cubs. Real quickly to kind of scope through, see when the Colorado Rockies play in Cincinnati. Well, looks like you're going to wait towards the latter portion of the year. Because Colorado doesn't come in. Okay, that was weird. I looked through the whole thing. Colorado. Interesting. Unless I just overlooked it, which that's certainly possible. Looking through July. Don't think the Reds have already played the Rockies. Nope. June 11th, 12th and 13th in Cincinnati. Have no idea why I passed by that. I lo- I swear I looked, but there you go. Reds Rockies starting for tonight in Denver, Colorado. Sticking with baseball, it's time to talk about the Dayton Dragons. Now in high A central, and after eight games, your Dayton Dragons are 5-3, and three, tied for first with Lake County, affiliate of Cleveland, and Lansing, who's now affiliate of Oakland, which is still weird to see, but let's talk about the Dragons. First up, we'll talk about the two home games I've worked. I'm working four of the six this week. Tonight and tomorrow. And the Dragons are back on local TV on the CW. That's Channel 26. And I don't know about the rest. It's on the Dayton CW. You can find it yourself. But Dayton so far, 5-1 at Great Lakes. 0-2 at home against Lansing. The original plan was to have an opening day episode of about the Dayton Dragons, but I didn't have enough time to get to it, so we're two games in. It is so weird to see the stretches that the Dragons have had to go to to get a quarter of air ballpark filled. Now, of course, this year can't have 100%. Well, you can in Texas and Florida, but enough about that. What I've seen so far, people have been turning out, people miss baseball, and it's we've had some pretty nice, rowdy crowds. It's nice to hear, you know, people get into the game. No skits between innings, which, you know, now they're played on the video board like the best of series so far. So that's a little bit different, but again, we're not here to talk about the green team. We're here to talk about the Dayton Dragons team. So far, 0-2 against Lansing, and you know this is still a quality Dragons team. Uh, like I said, I mean, Lansing has always been a thorn in the side of the Dragons. Most of that time was with the Lugnuts being affiliated with the Toronto Blue Jays, and we saw some incredible players like Beau Bichette, Vlad Jr., uh, Rowdy Tellez, who's normally the DH for the Jays, uh, we've seen some pitchers, uh, Marisnick, who's now a Chicago Cub, which is weird to see him bounce around like that. He played with the Lansing Lugnuts. There's been several candidates that made it up to Toronto. I like the way the Blue Jays used their system. They were it seemed like they were very involved with the process, even as low as low A. But. Now with the Oakland Athletics, I don't know what's changed with them and everything in terms of how Oakland runs their system. Previous years they were affiliated with the Beloit Snappers, a team that is getting a new ballpark and hopefully not a new name. Although that's been in the talks. A lot of people have come out and say, no, don't change the snappers. That means something to Beloit, Wisconsin. So, there you go. So, Dayton coming into The third game of the series against Lansing. They're led with Mario Bautista's 364 batting average. However, I believe he's hurt, if I remember correctly. So he's only played four games. Playing most of the games, Brian Ray at 345. And this dude, he continues to rake. Five home runs. That out home runs several teams. That out-homers several teams, rather. And that's tied with a few others. And then there's the Southbound Cubs, who have yet to homer. And they get to the ninth game. Yikes. But so far, the hitting seems to be doing its job. You got a lot of high averages there. Brent Spillane's a little struggling at 091 thus far in four games. Jonathan Williams has only played one game and. 0-for-2 of a run, but going on top. Again, I mentioned Bautista, who I believe is on the IL. Ray, 345. Quentin Cotton, he's played very well in center field. He's batting 310. Quincy McAfee, 304. Eric Yang, a catcher, 304. Miguel Hernandez has really picked it up since starting off the season, I think 0-for-8, 1-for-8. Hernandez now 267. Herdebe's the speedy guy from Army, 250, along with Michael Ciani's 250. Jose Teo, 207. Francisco Urbea's 200. Victor Ruiz had a hit last night, in the loss. He's now batting 176. James Free, he's 1 for 10. And then there's Spillane at 091 and Williams, 0 oh, oh for 2. So so far, I think the Dragons hitting core has done their job. Pitching wise, well, Lansing has been able to get to the bullpen twice. First game went to extra innings, the home opener, where Dayton fell 9-4. Could not get the extra or uh, the man on second home in the bottom of the ninth, whereas Lansing, they could, plus a few more. Currently, your pitchers with No ERAs, Lyon Richardson in two starts. He's been very stellar thus far in eight innings. Braxton Roxby, three appearances, yet to give up a run in four and a third. Spencer Stockton, one game out of the bullpen. He went the long distance route going no runs, two hits in four and a third, and one win. Eddie Demirius, three appearances out of the pen, four innings, no runs. J.C. Keyes, a win in his only appearance, one hit. No runs, two and a third. Francis Beguayo, uh two innings, no runs, and two appearances. Jacques Pichu, I believe that's how the pronunciation guide said it. Pichu, one hit, four innings, and two appearances. He's done quite well for himself. Noah Davis, he had a no-hitter going into the sixth, and his last batter broke it, which... That was a little disheartening to see, but he was struggling with command, heading towards the second go-around the Lansing lineup. Noah Davis, 270 ERA, two losses for him. Eduardo Salazar, he gave up his first runs of the year against Lansing. Did not take the loss, however. He gave up four runs, three of them earned in 10 innings, 270 ERA, and one win. Johnny Snyder, we have not yet seen him pitch at home. Two appearances, 450 ERA. Graham Ashcraft will get the start tonight against Lansing for Dayton. 491 ERA, one game started. Two are runs and three and two thirds. This is a hard throwing right-hander. Jake Gilbert last night, he was touched up a bit. His ERA balloons to 675. Carson Lindell had a scoreless appearance last night. His ERA drops to 736. Tyler Garby took the loss. For Dayton in the first game against Lansing, his ERA went up to 15.43. Ricky Salinas, 21.60 in one start. Sam Hellinger had a rough outing last night. His ERA now stands at 23.63. Gave up four runs in the loss last night to the Lugnuts. So, in terms of how the Dragons are faring hitting wise in the entire High A Central, formerly the Midwest League. Still hate the fact it's not called the Midwest League. High A Central just sounds so vanilla. This Dragons team still leads A plus C at 258. That's what the team hits. Behind them, the Lucknuts 243. Cedar Rapids, 238. Peoria, 234. Although the Chiefs not having a good year. Must be the pitching. We'll find that out next. And Wisconsin, 231. Home runs. Again, remember, Brian Ray with 5. The Dragons have 10. That leads the entire ALC. Excuse me, A plus C. South Bend still yet to hit a home run. Brian Ray is out homering Lake County, Peoria, and West Michigan. Fort Wayne is them. Wisconsin, Quad Cities, Great Lakes with 6 along with Cedar Rapids. 7 for the Lugnuts, 8 for Beloit, and 10 home runs for the Dayton Dragons. We've seen back-to-back home runs. Was it back-to-back? I think it was back-to-back on the home opener. Ray and Hernandez and Ray. It might have been just home runs with an out in the middle, I should say. But there you go. Pitching-wise, Lansing currently leads A-plus-C at 2.47. Lake County not far behind at 2.87. Wisconsin 2.99, Cedar Rapids 3.90, Dayton 3.91 in the top five out of 12. Your highest ERA goes to West Michigan. They're at 6.75, although well, better than Great Lakes in terms of wins at 3-4 and four to the Loons 2-6. and six. It's been a rough year for the Loons, a rough start, but remember, we still have about 112 games to go, so it's a marathon, not a sprint. In terms of wins, I mentioned Dayton was tied for first with Lansing and Lake County. Quad Cities and Wisconsin also have five wins with Cedar Rapids. Beloit not far behind, four and four. Fort Wayne, three and four with West Michigan. Great Lakes, Peoria, two and six. South Bend, two and five. Terms of batting average against staff, Dayton leads that core at 172. That's the lowest. Peoria's got the highest at 2.5. 5-4, 5-4, and Lansing is towards the bottom, tied with South Bend at two thirty two. Dragons have been able to get hits, but last night it was not able to get them in was the problem, especially when the Basso, the star, was on the mound. There was times where the Dragons got over to third and still couldn't get them over. And just If you're going to be a playoff team, you're going to have to battle through that. So we look at tonight's preview, Log at Dragons. This is, you can watch it on MILB TV, but it's not on local TV. And, of course, there's the radio stations cover it, 980. You know, one of two local teams they host. The other one is Miami and the Red Hawks. Graham Ashcraft goes against Shohei Tomioka, who has yet to allow an earned run in his two wins. Three strikeouts. Graham Ashcraft struck out six in his lone appearance. And none of the batters have faced Tommyoka yet. Neither have faced Ashcraft. Remember, this is just the second series of the year. So it is a lot different to see only 25% of people coming in. And I also found out the last night they do not have the grill for the footlong bratwurst anymore. Which makes me sad. That was always a pregame meal. It was literally a pregame meal, but it's okay. I mean, seeing all the social distancing that is required out there, some of the seats roped off, the sellout streak paused this year because, you know, it's not really fair with the coronavirus holding things up. But so far, it is nice to see baseball back at day or ballpark. It's nice to see folks at the Centerfield Flats just watching from the porches and the bleachers there, it is nice to see the Dragons back at home. Again, Lansing in for four and then Dayton will travel to South Bend, the only matchup between the Dragons and the Cubs in the regular season. And then back home to face the Quad Cities River Bandits, which I found out they're no longer affiliated with the Houston Astros. It's the Kansas City Royals. So, there you go. The Royals now in high AC. But That is your May for the Dayton Dragons. And of course, where do you find updates? Not on Dayton Radio. It's on the local Sydney Sports Podcast. Last up on episode 213, what did the Columbus crew just do? What is that ugly logo? And why... Do people hate it so much because it's terrible? But you might be wondering what I'm talking about unless you're heavily ingrained into MLS in Ohio. I'm talking about the Columbus Crew update and the rebranding. So first up, I like that logo. Yes, I know, Anthony Precord made it, but I, I liked it. I liked the badge before it because, you know, the Columbus Crew means something to Central Ohio. It's one of the original teams in Major League Soccer. You don't mess with tradition like the way these people have. So this is from sbisoccer.com. And it's the question of the day on May 10th. Is the Columbus Crews rebranding a mistake? Yes. I'm sorry I added that part. But I looked through and I've seen out of like about 100 comments. Maybe one saying they liked it, but I can't tell if they were trolling or not. In fact, Matt Morris, who normally chimes in for Malin's mailback questions, which, yeah, I could have done the theme song and everything for that, but nah. But what's my take on the crew reband? Yuck. Yuck, yuck, yuck. And another Yuck. So, first off, instead of the circular badge, which is pretty popular in soccer, let's not kid ourselves there, it is now a banner with a C that's kind of squinched in there, and then there's a little compass point underneath the C to finish up the other side of the banner, and now it's Columbus SC. You know, so it didn't say crew in there. Well, yes, it's still technically the crew, but... Yeah, I just, I just don't like it. I mean, the crew means something to Columbus and Ohio. This is something you don't butcher. This is something you don't mess with. No. Bad. Go back. There's a lot of people that hate it. And I, for one, I I don't like it. I just don't like it. I mean, so going back to this May 10th um. Uh, article, rather. I was going to say May 10th episode, excuse me, from Gregory Cultivanis. The Columbus crew announced on Monday that it's changing its name to Columbus SC and plans to use the crew as the team's nickname. The rebrand comes complete with the new logo I just described. Ugh. I look at it it's just... There is... Oh, I wish I shared it. There was an article from a Facebook page, MLS memes, and just all the rest of the logos in Major League Soccer with that, and they all look so stupid. Except Minnesota. That actually fit in with the badge quite nicely. FC Cincinnati is just the badge, and then there's that arrow. It's like, what's the point of that? It, it doesn't represent Columbus, though. You know, it, it's it's generic as generic can be. It's almost like a create a team type of logo, you know, your sports video games and you want to create your own team to, you know, destroy everyone else it's like, man, wouldn't it be great if like, you know, West Alexandria Ohio had an MLS team and just took over? Yeah, I know that'll never happen, but you get what I'm saying. You can create your own team, put it wherever you want and uh, everything like that. So yeah, this is uh, (laughs) it's not great. This is fresh from saving the crew from relocating to Austin, Texas. Thanks, Precorp. And now the fans are trying to save the crew once again. I don't think anyone thought that they have to do it twice after saying, hey, you know, listen. No, you're not moving this team to Austin, Texas just because, you know, that's where you want to go. If you want to go there, open up your own team, which that's happened. So apparently... Reading further in the article, Chicago Fires going back to the drawing board for another rebrand in 2022. Yeah, if you look at the Fires logo, just ugh, ugh. I like the old one, you know, with the fire department badge, you know? I like the shield. Yes, I know, not very soccer like, and what the heck is a crew, you know, everything like that, but it means something to Columbus. I'm going to vote in this poll from CrowdSignal.com in the bottom of the article against it, because that's what I think. Okay, it doesn't tell me how many have voted, but 91.26% are against the rebrand. For it, 8.74. Again, I don't know the sample size, but my word, that's 9. that's over 9 out of 10 people that say, no, this sucks. Why did you do this? Just... It, you know, it's just... No. It, it, and what was wrong with that shield in the first place? I know you wanted to get far away from pre-court as possible, but this is not the way to do it. And apparently... Watching this Brooklyn bedroom go from drab to fabulous and one something. Oh, because I put in redesigned. Ugh. Cool. Thanks for that. So going to the Columbus Dispatch. Dispatch. Excuse me. Dispatch. Dispatch. Chandler Bozzi gets the history lesson on why it's called the crew. Again, one of the first cities to get an MOS team. It's stuck with Columbus since then. And it noted from the team announcement the theme was reiterated throughout the press conference by the work zone barriers placed around the Mecca nightclub to the meals served in lunch pails. Black and gold was his color scheme for the start which yes the new logo does have black mostly black and the outline on the on the banner is yellow it's i think it's a lighter shade but ah uh, just no no it's it's not great in case you wonder why or some of the names that were also in in consideration columbus eclipse which the original name was tied to the 1994 solar event with the announcement by the city about season ticket deposits. Sliders, because Columbus-based White Castle and its fans wanted to name the team. In tribute to the fast food chains, Miniature Sandwiches. (laughs) I like that. Explorers, I like that name. Navigators in here. Evil Squirrels, no. Hooligans, no. Pride, eh. Kickers, eh, that's more Richmond, Virginia. They've had the kicker's name forever, it seems like. Falcons, eh. And here's some more. You can uh, barf with me on all these. Acorns, Zuts, Alkley Cats. Alkley Cats, A-L-K-L-E-Y Cats. Is that supposed to just be Alley Cats? Because I don't know what an Alkley Cat is, but... Armada, Brushstrokes, Cowtown 11, Convicts, <laughs> really? <laughs> fighting cows, fighting farmers. Uh, this is before Historic Crew Stadium was built on the fairgrounds. Come on. Gorillas, Rillas, Rickenbackers, Sioters, Socrates, Sons of Heaven, Spirit of Columbus, Warden's Extreme. Yeah, most of those names sucked. <laughs> Gorillas did get a rise out of me, but thankfully that wasn't chosen. There's a lot of, uh, hey, Columbus, big farming area, which, outside Columbus, that's true. I mean, the uh, the uh, farm show is just down I-70. Th- Think that's in uh, Madison County, though, by Plain City. So there was a push to move away from the crew as a standalone moniker, and a rally celebrating the change. Mayor Michael Coleman told the crowd, "I don't want you, I don't want to hear you ever call this team again, the crew." Again, the logo. I get, I get the change, but it's just. It's so underwhelming. It's just, no, it's bad. And the Nordique is even saying they weren't involved in the rebrand discussions. Although there was another article, I think it was from the Dispatch again, saying that they were there and they'd say this change would be negative to catastrophic. Yeah, it's leaning towards catastrophic. I don't think the fans will never stop loving the crew I don't think they'll come to that point however yeah they don't like it and I don't like it either just it's just so generic I mean you can make the argument that yeah the previous logo had nothing to do with Ohio except you know Columbus Crew SC and 96 in the stripes and the checkerboard but at least that was, that was a good logo. It celebrated black and gold. This one just doesn't. Columbus Soccer Club. Really? It's the Columbus Crew. Not everything needs to be soccerized like, you know, over in Europe. Okay? Columbus Crew, find the way they are. And that's not me bashing on, you know, football across the pond. I like that. But it doesn't have to be with the crew. So the crew will no longer be on the official team name, because again, it's Columbus SC or Columbus Soccer Club, with the crew being a nickname that won't appear on the official crest, but will still be seen as a standalone name around the stadium and on merchandise. And we will go ahead and pull up the Respect Your Roots article, which again, that's mainly fans saying, no, this sucks. I I uh, just no just no the FC Cincinnati one I mean the old one looked like it was done pretty quickly maybe not in paint but uh, it looked pretty plain whereas this one has more detail and everything still it's it's a weird shape but hey it's unique so I liked it so this one I just I I no I just no no I I just no I I don't I don't like it No, I I don't know how else to tell you that, no, this, this really sucks. So, the fans reacting. Let's scroll on down here. This is another Columbus Dispatch article. This is from Michelle Everhart. And this was published on the 10th of May. Updated about two hours after that. If Monday morning were a club rebrand, it would be the proposed new Columbus Crew one. Don't do it, says the Kitsman on Twitter. Yeah, don't do it. It, it, ugh. Former Crew player Justin Miram has an opinion. This makes 0.000000 sense. That's still way too much sense, but never mind. The history of this club is what's most important, not another rebrand. Everyone in Columbus loves the Columbus Crew. If fans thought the Chicago Fire rebrand was bad, this is from MLSIST. MLS? 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 Yeah, on uh, Twitter. Chicago Fire, our rebrand was atrocious, and there's no way any MLS club could ever outdo it. Columbus Crew, hold my beer. And going full circle with the photo of that one time with the scoreboard catching fire in 2013. Live shot, same from M O S I S T. Live shot as the crowd has now gathered to watch the Columbus Crew's Twitter mentions. Uh <laughs> <laughs> oh. this is from Crew. Be happy on Twitter. Respect your roots. Hashtag family, not just fans. Crew ninety six. And it's with—that's with eight players pointing or stretching to the logo. It. Not everyone thought using the crew as a nickname was awful. So this is from our honor, eighteen seventy. So they will still be using crew, just not on the shield. Not my first choice, but it's flaw—it's fine. Be known as Columbus SC, the crew being a nickname that won't appear on the official crest, but will still be seen as a standalone name around the stadium and on merchandise. So, technically, no, it's not, you know, completely gone, but still. This is the crew. Look at the previous two logos. The crew, Columbus Crew SC. So That's probably the most positive comment on there. Which, that that is true, but excited for the Columbus crew to rebrand as Flavortown crew from Gregory Van Brett. No. <laughs> not even going to dignify that with anything. So, yeah, as you probably can tell, I don't like it. And not a lot of people do either. So, this is going to be interesting to see if they keep it. It's going to be interesting to see You know, if they go back to the drawing board for another redesign. Or maybe just scrap it all together. Because there is a lot of outcry about this change. Yes, technically there's still the crew. But it's no longer on any of the logos. And this will be the first one in crew history that doesn't say the crew. just I think it's just a missed opportunity, you know. I can't get away from pre-court. But also remember this. Precourt wanted to change the name to Columbus SC. Remember that. So, are you really getting rid of the bad taste left by Precourt? Or are you just repeating history there? Yes, I know I could be talking about the 2-0 loss to Toronto SC in the Trillium Cup. I know that, but... I guess the save the crew group is going to have to go to work again, saying, "Hey, this sucks." You know? When someone is telling you this is going to be catastrophic at its worst, might want to rethink your position there. And that's my whole take on that. I don't know. Cincinnatians are getting to laugh at it just because yeah. But at the same time, you know, FC Cincinnati, if you could uh, start winning and start acting like an MLS team, that'd be great. I hate saying that, but, you know, I will say this. Fans at FC Cincinnati, they're right up there with the crew. Yes, I know. The crew has had a team since 1996, and with, you know, FC Cincinnati being a thing for, what what would this be, sixth year altogether? including USL and MLS timeline. You know, passion's there at FC Cincinnati. Fans are definitely not the problem. Just right now, you know, how do you get... I I still think that, you know, FC Cincinnati is getting players, but, you know, is it really MLS or are we still playing like we're in the USL? I don't know. That's just me. But I am excited to talk about TQL Stadium and the home opener against Inter Miami. Should be a good one, hopefully. Hopefully FC Cincinnati plays off the you know the emotion from their hometown crowd. And that will do it. That is the 513 episode for episode 213 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. And next time. Well, we'll probably talk a little bit more about FC Cincinnati. In fact, let's quickly check. When is that coming up? Do-do-do, Cincinnati is one word. Thank you, keyboard. Let's load it up and tell you that. I don't want these ads. How do these ads keep popping up? May 16th, so that's a couple days from now. Again, remember, I believe it's on national TV. Inter-Miami will come in, looks like, 1-2-2. Two, and two. That's a win, two losses, two draws. And FC Cincinnati, one draw, two losses, 0-2-1. And, and the last two matches, FC Cincinnati has given up eight goals. And the last few matches for Inter-Miami CF, they've given up three goals in the last two. Held Nashville SC scoreless, though. That's an impressive draw. And also beat Philadelphia Union at home. Also bowed hard with LA Galaxy, but that was a loss. It was handed a 2-0 shout-out to Club de Foot Montreal. Yeah, I remember what that logo stood for. But again, this will be Sunday, May 16th at 4. I believe it's on TV, although this preview from MSN is not telling me a lick of things, so... That will do. We'll probably talk about FC Cincinnati's home opener next week. Reds, Dragons updates, summer baseball getting underway soon. A couple weeks. Can't wait to dive into that and talk some Champion City Kings baseball. And next month we'll start Great Lakes Summer Collegiate League. Summer Collegiate League. Yeah, I was right. Dang it, I hate when I do that. Anyway. This is episode 213 of the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Thanks for joining me, and we'll talk to you again for the next edition of the local Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. You for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more.